Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Breaking tonight, Utah's abortion trigger law is now in effect. Right now on KSL Plus. It will end elective abortions in the state of Utah. The opposition. The uncertainty of what could come next is really scary. The support. But we're here and it's not scary. It's going to be beautiful. And the impact of Utah's changing abortion landscape. It's an important day for our future unborn brothers and sisters who will be given the chance for life. We cannot stand for this. We will need to fight back. I'm Matt Rascone, and this week we take a look at what's happened in the state since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and gave power to the states to regulate abortions. Plus, where the state's trigger law stands today and the impact all this is having on families and physicians. with Roe gone, let's be very clear, the health and life of women in this nation are now at risk. People have won a victory. The right to life has been vindicated. Friday, June 24th, the Supreme Court of the United States holds there is no constitutional right to abortion, overturning decades of precedent in Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, and sparking relief and outrage. It's really raw and really scary. I have two kids and I can't handle a third. And I don't know what I would do if I got a pregnancy scare. The decision erased nearly 50 years of constitutional protections for abortion rights. And it drew large crowds downtown well into the evening. And we can no longer sit aside and allow the system to continue to take away our rights. That same day in Utah, a trigger law, Senate Bill 174, takes effect, banning most abortions. We wanted to put a stake in the ground and say, hey, Supreme Court uh, and others across the United States, where would Utah be? 
Senator Daniel McKay sponsored the legislation that's been ready and waiting for two years now. There would be a ban on elective abortions. Senate Bill 174 does not apply to procedures after a miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy. It bans abortion in all cases except when necessary to prevent death or serious risk of substantial and irreversible impairment of a major bodily function of the mother. Cases of rape and incest that have been reported to law enforcement and a uniformly diagnosable and lethal defect or brain abnormality in the fetus. Physicians who provide abortions outside of these restrictions can face felony criminal charges. I'm sure if there was a poll of unborn children as to whether or not they'd want to live, I I think, now unfortunately, they can't speak for themselves. So I think in this situation, the law has to step in and speak for them. Medical and legal experts have concerns about putting the law into practice. It was hastily passed, and we've got a lot of figuring out how to make it work. It seems to have kind of started and ended from a place of moral outrage and not thinking through the policy implications. Tennille Brown, a professor at the University of Utah who specializes in health law, and Carrie Galloway, CEO of Planned Parenthood in Utah, say too much of the language in this legislation is undefined and at odds with real medical terms. They point to phrases like irreversible impairment and uniformly diagnosable. If you're going to allow health care providers to interpret the law, I have to tell you it's going to be different than how the legislators who made the law think it should be interpreted. The law here is very absolute certainty, uniformly diagnosable. That's not the way medicine works. That's not the way our bodies work. Everything exists on a spectrum. And my guess is sometimes these things are going to end up in court. I rise in opposition to this bill, and I rise as a healthcare medical physician. Their concerns echo those of Draper Democrat Representative Suzanne Harrison during debate on the House floor. For us to be putting in statute political gobbledygook as a medical requirement for a diagnosis that two physicians have to sign under a penalty of medical legal liability is, is dangerous. Are there things in this legislation that are problematic? It's always hard trying to find the right balance in these things. Um, the legislature meets every year for a reason because we're constantly revisiting policy. According to the Utah Department of Health's Office of Vital Records and Stats, there were 2,776 total abortions in the state in 2019. Under the trigger law, just 14 of those 2019 abortions would have been legal. Any abortions related to incest were not in the 2019 data. It just feels like... Part of my rights have been taken away, especially in this state. By Monday, June 27th, Planned Parenthood has sued the state, arguing the trigger law harms women and violates Utah's constitution. I think lawmakers are interested in criminalizing abortion and making sure that women don't have access to abortion, but they're not interested in providing resources for women who do have unplanned pregnancies and then are forced to carry those pregnancies to term. The lawsuit claims SB 174 is harmful to women who are already struggling to pull their children out of poverty, finish school, escape an abusive partner, or overcome addiction. If someone wants to do something with their body, just allow it to happen and don't judge them for it. It's simple. Planned Parenthood says they've already canceled nearly 70 abortion appointments set for the week. Their intention with the lawsuit is to request a temporary restraining order against the Utah law. The Utah Attorney General's office pushed back, saying the state constitution does not reference abortion and does not include any implied right to abortion. 
3rd District Judge Andrew Stone granted a temporary order blocking the trigger law for 14 days. I am going to issue the temporary restraining order. Um, principal consideration on a TRO of this nature is preservation of the status quo. With that decision, abortions are once again legal in Utah for at least 14 more days. Planned Parenthood is so relieved. Carrie Galloway is the CEO of Planned Parenthood in Utah. It was devastating on Friday morning. Preserve the health and safety of the mother and baby, and at the same time, protect those who are victims of rape, incest. Dan McKay sponsored House Bill 174 that includes a provision stating abortions in cases of rape and incest can now only be performed once the crime is reported to law enforcement. His statement after today's ruling in favor of pushing pause on the trigger law says in part, statistically, 8.2 babies are aborted every day in Utah. Sadly, Judge Stone sentenced 115 babies to death. Pro-Life Utah's Mary Taylor hopes the state courts will uphold the near-total ban on abortions here. We are deeply saddened uh, that the 3rd District Court uh, put the injunction on Utah's trigger bail. It really saddens us that babies will die, dozens of babies will die as a result of this decision. As for Planned Parenthood that called for the hearing, they restarted procedures in their clinics immediately. I am feeling good that we're doing the right thing. It's different from the trigger law that's on hold. Blocking the the trigger law opened the door for another abortion law to take effect in the state. This law took effect suddenly and even to the surprise of the lawmaker who sponsored it. As the state capitol becomes the center of the state's abortion debate, what happened here three years ago is suddenly at the forefront. I knew it might happen, but it seemed a remote possibility. An abortion law Representative Cheryl Acton worked to pass in 2019, held up in litigation since then, she found out is now the law because SB 174 is on hold. Someone uh, texted me and said they thought that my law might be, you know, the law of the land right now, and I was like, no, it, there's still, it's been enjoined. It's, it's still not on the table. And then I learned that it had been dismissed. So I was surprised. HB 136 prohibits elective abortion after 18 weeks instead of the state's prior 22, with six exceptions. Rape, incest, life of the mother, permanent impairment of the mother, fatal fetal defect, and severe brain abnormality. Violation of that law can result in criminal felony charges. A surprise announcement that law professor Tennille Brown. It doesn't help provide legitimacy for the courts as a rule of law when it looks like it's volleying back and forth. Says may complicate the process for women and providers who need to keep track of what's legal moment by moment. This is a very difficult personal decision. And so not knowing whether you are going to be able to have a procedure or not, whether it's legal or not, whether your provider even knows whether it is legal or not, um, that's very destabilizing for the rule of law. Acton doesn't expect her law to to be in place for that long before things could change again. On Monday, July 11th, Planned Parenthood and the Utah Attorney General's office are back in court before Judge Stone. Instead of disputing these harms, the state argues that the harms to pregnant people and their families caused by the ban are constitutionally irrelevant. They are not. Just merely saying that the right exists as an implied right gives no substance or scope or content to what that right looks like. After hearing their arguments, 
Judge Stone issues a preliminary injunction, blocking the trigger law while the case makes its way through the court. He says Planned Parenthood successfully showed that women who are seeking abortions may be harmed by seeking treatment out of state or resorting to other unsafe means. He said he's not making a ruling on the case with this decision. Rather, the injunction is based on keeping the status quo before making a significant change to the law. Today is a very good day. Some may even feel that Independence Day just came a week late. In response to the injunction allowing abortions to continue, Pro-Life Utah said the irreparable harm to unborn babies was completely ignored. Thousands of babies would have been protected had the law been allowed to go into effect, but will now be killed as a result of this decision while we wait for the case to be litigated. Historic photos capture the Cathedral of the Madeline in a different era. The moral principle of the Catholic Church is called the common good. The court ruled in cases from Texas. January 22nd, 1973, challenged the beliefs of Catholics across the country when the Supreme Court legalized abortion. In spite of this horrifying decision, the American people must rededicate themselves to the protection of the sacredness of all human life. The Lord be with you. We are not pro-birth. Hallelujah. We are pro-life. Something Father Martin Diaz still feels today. Wow, what a challenge us Christians, us Catholics have to be pro-life in the next days, months, years ahead, to really truly be pro-life, to really honor every single life that comes into the world. It's deeper than just a policy. Correct. If Father Martin says they have added perspective to their beliefs. We're hoping we can take a, take a message from God and be as loving as God is. We would never counsel anyone to have an abortion, but we know that it happens. And so if anyone has gone through an abortion, we love those people. Love and grace. <laughs> what it's all about at the Calvary Baptist Church. Put your hands together for our music ministry. Grace is God giving you what you don't have. Mercy is God withholding what you do deserve. Abortion, in my perspective, is clearly wrong. But I also believe that um, we serve a God of grace and mercy. Traditionally, Baptists have been against abortion. But Pastor Oscar Moses says his beliefs differ from the mainstream. I believe that those decisions uh, as it relates to women and abortion is between uh, her gynecologist, her and her God. This is my Bible. It's not navigating faith that Pastor Moses worries about. Rather, the socioeconomic impact on his people. Where I have a predominantly African-American community, will they have access to equal health care? Will they be given prenatal care? And for single home families, you know, will they have the assistance that they need? At Congregation Kolami, Rabbi Sam Spector says they are part of both reform and conservative movements of Judaism, meaning they focus on conserving certain traditions while embracing more modern beliefs. So there are different Jewish perspectives and a lot of debate within Judaism 
of when exactly does life begin. The most important commandment is to save a life, which overrides everything else. In Israel, Rabbi Spector says panelists decide whether or not someone is allowed to have an abortion. In all situations, prioritizing the life of the mother. They have different criteria. Um, Quality of life is one of those. Rape, incest, you know, life of the mother. Is the mother going to be a single mom? Will this put financial burden on her where she goes into poverty. But there is no panel here in Utah. Instead, Rabbi Spector counsels couples one-on-one, even discussing abortion before marriage. I talk to them about the importance of getting genetic testing done. I talk to couples, too, and say, do you have the same stance? It sounds like you really focus on quality of life. There's 613 laws in the Torah. Most of those are only for Jewish people. But eight laws that apply to all people are preventing unnecessary suffering on living creatures. And I think you can use that law to make an argument on either side of this debate. Historic decisions invoking conversations that will stand for years to come. The challenge is how do we as a society develop the common good? Woman of Faith is sharing her heartbreaking experience of losing a baby. Doctors recommend Caught in the middle of all the back and forth on abortions in Utah are unborn babies, families, and physicians. Juliet Nielsen and her husband went in for an ultrasound months into her pregnancy. The absolute worst news you could ever receive about your baby. Serious physical deformities. He couldn't survive them, um, such as his heart, lungs, All of his organs right here were outside of his body. Doctors suggested the mother of three have a late-term abortion rather than waiting for a miscarriage. Her last miscarriage was life-threatening. Went in to have the procedure. It was um, really emotional and devastating. That was just last week, just before the Supreme Court's decision allowing more abortion restrictions nationwide. I think the situations that necessitate an abortion are far too nuanced and complicated to be covered under any law. And I would just love to see people be more compassionate with each other and and more loving and understanding that um, not all decisions are black and white. It's, it's very hard to create black and white situations, right? Medicine is not a yes, no. You don't always die or don't die. You can't always quantify risk in that way. It's particularly complex for doctors dealing with high-risk situations, either for the child or the mother. We know that 97% of abortions happen before 12 weeks of gestation. But I want to speak to all of those other cases because as a high-risk specialist, those women who are later in their pregnancy and facing these very difficult choices um, are the women that we care for. And when laws place arbitrary gestational age limits, they particularly target the most vulnerable women. Is the most vulnerable that suffer from differences in medical and legislative terminology. And I was just in disbelief, like, no way, no way. At just 17 years old, Lindsay Tafenga Toto found out she was pregnant. The teen chose an abortion. I went out to the car after the procedure and I just started bawling. And I was surprised because that was the only moment that my boyfriend at the time started bawling too. So I think we both felt like 
immediate, that was not a good choice. It was a decision that weighed heavily on her. So when she got pregnant a couple years later. I felt like I wasn't at a place in my life to be a parent. So I chose adoption. She gave her son up to a family who'd been waiting for a baby for 15 years. She compares both pregnancies and feels the difference in her mental health is clear. The sadness that came from the abortion and then the joy that comes from the adoption that keeps on giving joy. It's night and day. Lindsay shares her story at public events and feels it's her mission to educate women on their options, especially right now. To make people realize this is the women in your community. The 28-year-old, now a wife and mother, understands the decisions she made won't be the right ones for everyone, but she hopes her story inspires others. For women's mental health and for her uh, reproductive future, it can be damaging. You know, that's everything that my story testifies of. As of today, some abortions can continue in Utah. The trigger law is blocked, and the law banning abortions after 18 weeks remains in effect. All of that could change, of course, as Planned Parenthood's lawsuit makes its way through court. Utah Attorney General's office can also appeal the injunction on that trigger law. That does it for us this week on KSL Plus. I'm Matt Rascone. We'll see you again next week. 